Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by now Daniela. I am going to try to pronounce your name for correctly because I can never pronounce people's names. Is it Daniela Dudzova? Dudisova, yeah. Dudisova, oh. oh, nearly got it, nearly got it. <laughs> nearly got it. So, uh, Daniela, you you uh, you join us from um, the Czech Republic today, and you're our first guest officially from the Czech Republic ever on the podcast with over 100 episodes, so welcome. Happy to, thanks. How is the uh, Czech Republic these days? It's pretty sunny, pretty good. Uh, pretty good. COVID, not so good, but um, yeah, we're getting by, I think. Yeah. The, I've been to Czech Republic twice. The first time I went to Czech Republic was in 1995, I think. Uh huh. And it was quite different. After, yeah, after sort of uh, the end of uh, communism and European divide in 1995, it was very, very cheap. I think I went there for about three weeks. And mm-hmm. uh, in the three weeks, I spent about $300 on food and drink and i was uh i was very young at the time so i was drinking lots of alcohol and eating lots of steak uh-huh. and i still came uh-huh. home with money in my pocket it was a very cheap place to, to go and visit they wanted to come back and then i went back yeah. in 2010 with my wife and it was uh-huh. quite different it was still 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 a lot cheaper but it was uh it was a lot different prague was- from 95 mm-hmm. to 2010 was i was just walking around my mouth open because you know, I remember the castle and the steps and, you know, the, the, the palace yeah. and all, all around. There was kind of, you know, areas. They had none of that kind of tourism stuff. And then when I went, like the big astronomical clock, I remember seeing that back then. And then I went and saw it this time. And it was just like tourism everywhere and everywhere. Western stuff mm-hmm. and like subways and McDonald's. I was just like my eyes open. So big changes in the, in the Czech Republic the last uh, 20 odd years, huh? Definitely. Yeah. 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 Did you did you grow up in Prague or outside of Prague or? No, I'm from uh, the eastern part of the country, from the mountains, and um, that had been pretty different growing up there. Um, but I've been living in Prague for the past ten years or so. Okay, maybe yeah. more. And yeah, so we came home really, and it's yeah, nice. Yeah. Everybody likes to come back. Yeah, yeah. I know abroad and um, yeah. It's Good. it's a it's a very beautiful country. We spent a lot of time in '95 over. I think it would have been over maybe that part of the world towards the Polish border. It's very uh-huh. very very nice. I can't remember the place nice we were too. staying. It's very beautiful. Yeah, yeah lots of forests I and mountains. The, for, I come from the region with uh, yeah Poland and Slovakia, so that yeah. corner of the country as far from Prague as possible actually, and um, so that's that's a nice region too. A lot of mixed culture too. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, yeah, a lot of Polish in the language, some German too. So, yeah, that's, that's our, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any Polish I'm people. I'm glad you like Czech Republic. Oh, it's a beautiful city. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah. beautiful city. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really nice. And people are very friendly. Never any trouble like walking around at nighttime or during the day. People are friendly, even talking to police. Or I always think when you talk to police, <laughs> yeah. if, if police, if police, if police are friendly to you, it's, it's a decent sign of a, of a country you good, know i think it's country, yeah. i think it's a good sign you know we were in um scandinavia just before the covid thing and everywhere mm-hmm. i went it was like having a chat with a police officer and if they got really aggressive <laughs> i was like god oh, you know it's not good but they're all really good it's only really in the u.s to get a bit aggressive 
and even here in Australia to get mm-hmm. a bit aggressive too. But yeah, it was it's pretty yeah. pretty chilled and checked puppy dog phone. Yeah, I think people were uh, sick of all the so cold war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Daniela, we're going to talk about your paper today, um, which is the effect yeah, of sure. daytime psilocybin administration on sleep implications for antidepressant action. So we'll talk about that paper in a minute, but I am very keen. You obviously alluded to it there. You're from the Eastern part of the Czech Republic. Can you give us a bit of a background of how you kind of got into this area of, of sleep or psilocybin and what your pathway was to, uh, to writing this great paper that came out um, just before Christmas last year? Mm-hmm. It was, um, well, so my background is in psychology originally. I've studied psychology in the University of Glasgow and then I um, had a master's degree in um, Alaska University in Olomouc when I came back to Czech Republic. And um, then I started studying uh, neuroscience at uh, uh, medical faculty at Charles University in, here in Prague. And I started working at the National Institute of Mental Health. And even since probably, yeah, the university years, I always liked sleep. And so I started uh, and I was fortunate enough to get the job here and at the sleep laboratory or, or research group which which does sleep here and um and my my biggest interest is probably in aging so that's that's my area of expertise uh, sleep and how it relates to memory consolidation and and uh, specifically in aging and so so getting uh, this paper done was a bit of a coincidence we, we, because we really just took, took advantage of um there was a larger ongoing trial with the psilocybin. And we were discussing in the team that there's really no papers on sleep. And so this was really a big, a big team effort that we it was a, a sort of an extra project for everybody. Uh, but we really wanted to get it done and see the results coming out of it and what actually psilocybin does uh, in sleep. So, so, we, so yeah, we, we did it. And then the, the the paper was published uh, a couple of years later, yeah. and we're happy it's out finally. Yeah, it's very good, and it's freely available online, so it's open access. Yeah, we'll, we will yeah. put that into everybody the show notes can, so people can read it. Yeah, any there, you don't have to pay any money. It it. It's all it's all in it, there exactly. Now, one thing you did yeah. say there, Daniela, which I'm very I'm very keen to ask you about, which is a very uh, you said you studied psychology, but I want to know when you went to Glasgow to study, how did you cope with the English? Because I can't even understand people in Glasgow and I'm from Ireland. How did, well, that must uh, have been mind-blowing, was it? <laughs> I, even after four years, I still didn't understand the bus drivers, to be honest. I never <laughs> got after it. I tried hard. But like it, the university was a very international experience, so the accent was, wasn't as bad. Uh, yeah. in those areas but yeah um, uh, taking buses were was always interesting <laughs> <laughs> especially when I like because I thought I understood English but then you know when I first took the flight to to Glasgow and I went and uh, I took the bus <laughs> and then the, the guys just started talking I'm like uh zero 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 so yeah, funny. Um, I, I, I have I have the very same feeling when I go there. I'm like I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just yeah. look I look and I nod and I laugh and I smile and I go yes yeah. okay. <laughs> I yeah, have no idea. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, 
so with this paper you said um you know you you took a you took a the opportunity really to to look at the, the psilocybin um you know on yep. sleep what do you know what the broader context of this research was were they looking at the effects of psilocybin on any other measures that you can mm-hmm. kind of just discuss broadly before we get into the sleep part uh before getting uh yeah the study it has like two branches one was the eeg part so they were really looking at um like evoked potentials and there were some different tasks and i, I don't know the details but they're looking at like cognitive outcomes too during yeah. the for the eeg part and then uh after we and we actually joined this eeg part this eeg brand uh, branch and um uh, after this was finished, uh, then the study continued in the second branch, and that included also magnetic resonance imaging, functional magnetic resonance imaging. And I'm not even sure if they col- like if they finished the data collection yet, but um, so that's that's something uh, they're doing for sure now, and there'll be more papers coming from our lab in the recent years. I'm yeah, sure. So it'll be interesting to look out for too. So how how would you if we kind of work through the paper in terms of background for people who are listening to this and hearing the word psilocybin. What, what exactly is psilocybin? So psilocybin, uh, when it uh, metabolizes, it's, uh, it's an, it's a, it becomes psilocin. And once psilocin is metabolized, then uh, it's an active ingredient uh, of actually magic mushroom, which probably yeah. that's what people know or heard of. Um, and uh, we just wanted to look at this uh, drug because in recent years there's been a renaissance going on with the psychedelics within the psychedelics field and because of its uh, therapeutic potential. And we thought that um, since um, there's been some studies, you know, in depression and, and stuff, we thought that maybe psilocybin could um, do changes in sleep, which would be similar to effects of, for example, antidepressant drugs. So this was basically the background, which and our framework where we, which we used and worked within with. And um, so basically, the aim of the study was to study sleep changes related to administration of uh, psilocybin, and we looked both at um, the microscopic changes of the some microstructure of sleep, so sleep staging, how it changed, like sleep objectively. We also yeah. looked at more detailed aspects like uh, spectral analysis, and um, we also looked at we also verified if it changed sleep subjectively. Yeah, and what what exactly is spectral so, analysis then, Daniela? When we're looking at sleep, uh, spectral analysis. That's um, it's a one. It's a way to look at sleep in more detail. So we look at uh, bands of different frequencies, and each, for example, sleep stage has specific spectral bands, which would be specific for that stage. And enhancing some spectra, some spectra, we were expecting that maybe psilocybin could enhance or decrease some some spectra. We had really had no idea what it could do. So. So this was really uh, very much a first exploratory analysis ever done on, on uh, in this, okay. you know, in psilocybin. 
So is it fair to say, like, you know, a lot of people listening will be aware or be familiar with, like, you know, you got a stage of being awake, then you got stage one sleep, stage two, stage three, progressively getting deeper, and then you come back yeah. up into kind of REM sleep. Does the spectral analysis then basically, you know, stage one, look at like levels of depth within the stage one. So you might have like a, you know, sub levels within level one based upon the, the hertz of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could we could say that because um, I don't know. For example, in uh, the deep sleep and non-REM three, uh, yeah. yeah, slow wave sleep. That's where, for example, you would expect most delta frequency bands. So it's the slow, uh, slow oscillation, slow frequencies going from zero to like four or five hertz, and um, that's the characteristic of that stage so we would expect more and other frequency bands would probably not be as represented in that stage as, uh, or in, as in other stages we're also looking at the distribution of um, these frequencies within different stages yeah does that Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, if I if I can understand that anybody can, because I'm not at that, I'm not that intelligent. <laughs> so that's uh, it's me trying to make sense of it. And um, with the just as a bit of a background as well, in these studies were run in the Czech Republic. Is psilocybin legalized or permitted to be no. used, or no, it's not? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, definitely not. Uh, it's a uh, it was a big process for the for the team to actually even get. Um, the admission and the the you know the legal um, um, admittance yeah of and just to, to get ethically approved this study so I know it was like years and years long process of actually and a lot of paperwork a lot of uh, yeah. administration surrounding it and um, even I know that even some studies which are planned now are still you know we're still waiting for for the approval so this is something which definitely um, is a struggle for the yeah. team. I think that's the same, but everybody across the world is happening here in Australia as well. And overseas, there's lots of, uh, lots of red tape and lots of uh, paperwork to be yeah. filled out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So let's talk about the, the group you had. So you had 20 healthy volunteers, um, perfect evenly split, 10 women, 10 men. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very... Age between twenty-eight oh. to fifty-three, so there weren't a bunch of kids who wanted to get high and just dance. They were a little yeah. bit older, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, which which was interesting as well. Uh, with the mean age oh. being thirty-six, so quite a very mature cohort. And um, quite surprisingly, that they have volunteered to do this. Can you shed any light on why they may have done this? Actually, was there? There were many more uh, volunteers than we actually could take on in the end yeah, yeah. and so um i think well they must have been they had to be healthy you know didn't use any medication psychiatric di diagnosis uh and um especially psychotic disorders we, mm. we verified those into big detail and we also because of the such a you know it was it's a really long study and it was very time consuming very um we, we really made sure that our participants, they that they would actually come back, you know, that they wouldn't yeah. uh, leave after the first administration and be like, yeah, this was interesting and and let's go. So so our participants really were carefully selected and uh, uh, from even these sort of 
um, criteria. Um, yeah, we also ask them not to um, use any drugs or alcohol prior to the study, not take any uh, coffee in the morning, for example, et cetera. So yeah. this was are the details which we try to control for. So you go on in the paper to talk about actual drug administration. You know, not everybody got the same dose. It was obviously, you know, proportional to a person's body weight. And the example you have in here is like a, is a one milligram for every yeah. five kilo of body weight. So a 70, 60, 80 kilo mm -hmm. person uh, gets about 20 milligrams mm -hmm. of uh, psilocybin. Um, and it was, um, it was do, 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 do. also you had participants coming into the sleep laboratory with no psychedelic effects present. So they weren't coming in and taking anything else, like you said. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And you had repeat sessions um, over 28 days of doing this drug and then doing the overnight polysomnography recording. So I presume everybody stayed in the lab for that 24 hours, take the psilocybin, had the sleep recordings overnight, and then were safely discharged, for want of a better word, the next day when they were completely in you the know, morning. Yeah. Back to yeah. There was there was a follow-up interview too with the doctor to see if you know everything was all right. And then they then they left the laboratory. Okay, yeah. So, so they, they they got the psilocybin at around 9 a.m. Uh, and then um, the experience lasted for about six to eight hours on average. And then you know they stayed at the institute the whole time and then in the evening they came just upstairs, you know, two, two stairs above to uh, to our laboratory where they uh, where we took their polysomnography recordings. And just out of interest, uh, uh, when people had you know undergone their trip during the day and, mm -hmm. and that evening, yeah. what 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 were they like? Like, were you involved in the sleep setups overnight? Like, were do you have they any were, idea of yeah, what was going on? A couple of them, they were just tired. Just tired. <laughs> They were, they were pretty tired, and it they looked like they had an interesting day for sure. Did, did, <laughs> we, we didn't really like, yeah, we didn't really want to disturb them too much. And yeah. some of them were just yeah, ready to uh, for the shut eye. <laughs> did any anybody yeah. have any kind of strange life changing experiences that obviously they wouldn't make it into the paper that you could maybe talk about? I'm not sure. Not sure. I'm not sure. Because I wasn't uh, I wasn't there during the and it's you know blinded and uh, yeah, yeah. we don't really we really take the privacy seriously. So Yeah, yeah. So I don't we don't we yeah, I don't know because I was involved in the sleep part. Uh, yeah. So so yeah. Okay. And so how many sessions did they do this where they took the psilocybin in the morning and then had the sleep uh, recording overnight? How many times did they do that? Two sessions. Two one sessions. was with the yeah, one was with the psilocybin and one was with placebo. Yeah, and it was double blinded, meaning that none, either the participants didn't know what he was taking, and we as researchers didn't know what session it was for the for the person. Yeah. Um. Uh, and um. Yeah, we had. I think we had two responders to placebo, which was I thought was interesting. That they had some kind of experience during placebo. Mm, so yeah, did, but that's did, about it. What did, I know from this the... is this is interesting because I've been speaking to a guy called David O'Shaughnessy. Um, he's uh -huh. doing his postdoc with with, uh, uh, with Berkeley in the US, but he's based here in Western Australia. 
and I might actually put the link of his talk into the show notes because he did a link. Um, sorry, he did a talk months ago here in Perth and he's done a PhD in anthropology. So he actually, in his undergrad, was a computer scientist. Then in his postgrad studies, did psychology and they did a PhD in anthropology. And he spent a lot of time mm-hmm. in South America for his PhD in anthropology. And he said that some people will respond to placebos uh, because of the ritual around it. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of interesting mm-hmm. that some people may be going through this, even a lab-based ritual, you know, yeah. focusing on the on themselves, maybe experiencing some things where they take some time out. And if you look at some of Stephen Bright's work as well, who, which we had out on a different podcast called Learning to Die, which is a podcast on philosophy and history. And I'll put that link into mm-hmm. the show notes as well. Stephen's paper looked at uh, basically people taking psychedelics, which included anything from LSD to marijuana, psychedelics, mm-hmm. people doing meditation and yoga, and then people doing a combination. And basically the people who did meditation and yoga had similar results to those people doing microdosing of psychedelics. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is multiple ways to get into these altered states without having to take something that can be okay. endogenously done as well. Yeah. So uh, I'll throw those links in there. So in, in the, in the results, then, um, Daniela, you, you really only had one finding that we can see from the, from the results in table one or one that strikes me, which mm-hmm. is around, around the uh, REM latency. Do you want to, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that finding? Sure. Uh, well, uh, the paper showed that uh, actually the, the changes of sleep, like overall, there's not that many. And the one finding we did find there was that it did, that uh, um, uh, there was increased REM latency, meaning that the REM onset just came on later than in uh, the placebo group or the placebo trial. And um, so that was one, uh, yeah, one significant finding. Uh, then there we found also a trend of suppressed REM sleep, but um, yeah, it was it was a trend. It wasn't like a significant finding, but nevertheless, I think this still shows that um, there is there might be some you know relation to actually that it is. Um, Relatable to antidepressant, other antidepressant drugs, which also similarly affect REM sleep, especially yeah, SSRIs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And and what about then any other uh, findings you may have had, like between the genders or um, anything else, but between age, was there any other sort of differences that you may have found throughout? Uh, we also checked, uh, as I mentioned, the spectral analysis. Uh, there seems to be some changes and increases this time in sigma power, which sigma power is related to um, uh, sleep spindle activity, which is also has been implicated in the protection of sleep and in like functions such as memory functions, synaptic plasticity. So there is been something is going on, but since we've done so many uh, other comparisons with other uh, sleep stages, with other frequencies, when we um, did um, the, um, we, when we controlled for multiple comparisons, it didn't, it wasn't significant, mm. but um, there, there might be something going on, but yeah, the sample size was quite small. So we're not sure if this was with that, maybe with more people, there'll be more significant findings. We don't know really, but this is the best we could do. And um, 
there is something going on. There might be something going on. Yes, maybe future investigations will find out more. So really that finding you speak about there, the spectral analysis, that's on um, figure two within the paper. And you're talking about sleep spindles, which is obviously stage two of non-REM sleep. And uh, yeah. if anybody's yeah, looking, yeah, at the, looking at the paper, if you look for the uh, the little kind of diagrams here, which are basically a top-down view of somebody's head, um, look for the one that's a kind of a bright orange red color. That's really where yeah. where we're seeing that difference in the uh, in the spectral analysis. So it's quite interesting across all those like delta, theta, alpha, sigma, yeah. beta one, and beta two. Um, you've got that change there. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's really so interesting. It's like- there were results for spectral analysis, and then we also did, uh, when I mentioned the subjective uh, sleep, uh, we, the only significant, there was no change in how people perceived uh, how long was their sleep, uh, so it was of different qualities, so there was really no change. But what we found that people just perceived uh, they felt they were falling asleep longer after psilocybin. But objectively, yeah. it was not so. Subjectively, yes, it was. So that's, that was interesting. Um, and we also looked at uh, the first uh, sleep cycle. And uh, here we saw that there might be changes because uh, slow wave sleep, and especially in first uh, sleep cycle, it's been implicated in neuroplastic processes. And um, according to, to some theories, so we just checked if this could be, for example, a proxy of some neuroplastic processes. And uh, we found some changes, especially in like the posterior regions of the brain, uh, but we saw there be, might be increased, uh, that thalassibin might increase this activity, but what happened was that it was the other way around, there, there was mm. a decrease. So um, actually, there might be some suppression of, of this slow wave activity. We don't really know the mechanisms yet, but it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, and this was actually confirmed with another animal study, which was quite recently published, I think. So. Okay. So overall, Daniela, from this study, was there any negative mm-hmm. outcomes for the people taking psilocybin? Because in our culture, generally, People are like, you know, the drugs are very bad and nothing's good's going to come of this and it'll ruin your sleep, it'll ruin your mental health, it'll, it'll do all yeah. these things, but with very little scientific evidence, as you said, at the moment. So, you know, we're starting to answer some of those questions, albeit very early stages. What, what was the negative things we, that came out? Wh- maybe? What I can come up, you know, what I can comment on is just that one night after administration, like, I don't know how it, if it could... And if it did affect sleep later on, like during the other night following this, uh, the, the administration and, uh, or, you know, there's a lot of like talk about microdosing and stuff. So I really don't know how that could affect people's sleep. But uh, from what we've observed after that one night, um, immediately, acutely after the administration, we didn't find much changes. We did, we did find that it could, you know, suppress REM sleep. And, um, and that's, that was like the one major change which happened to the sleep. But, but even overall with the differences between the, um, the total sleep time between the psilocybin group and the placebo group, you're looking at only really a difference of 12 minutes. So 
you know, yeah. broadly, it's not it's not very much. And I think it's always interesting to look at these numbers. While statistical values yeah. can be helpful, we also need to think about yeah. the clinical or the practical relevance. Practical, or, yeah. clinical, yeah, yeah, definitely as well. So, so, so people may look at this and go, "Oh, there was a big finding there between like placebo and psilocybin in terms of REM latency." But you can get those delays in REM latency if people have sleep apnea, for example. So yeah. they can they can happen for a number of different reasons, you know. Um, and obviously it's an interesting find in the paper. And the other one to look at as well is the sleep latency being 14 and 21 minutes. You know, ending really mm-hmm. under 30 minutes is 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 okay. 10 to 20 is like optimal. Yeah. So, you know, Normal. really yeah. fairly, fairly good sleep behaviors here overall, probably a little bit less um in the lab, less than seven hours, but you would expect that when people are wearing PSG, it's never meant to be yeah, a great night's sleep. It's never sleep comfortable anyway. for yeah, them. It's never comfortable. We try yeah. to limit this and control this with uh, an adaptation night. So all the subjects came into the sleep laboratory prior just to get used to the equipment, but it's never still, especially after a day like this, you know, people, yeah. people are tired and um, so. Yeah, it's never the same sleep as when you sleep at home. And Daniela, did you look at any of these findings in in context with other things like, you know, did you, and I know there's very limited data on this, but just kind of, you know, going a bit wide now and just talking about what you may have seen, like, does this, does any of the spectral analysis or any of the sleep data, um, is that reflected in people who meditate, do yoga, take DMT, take marijuana? Have you seen any sort of similar behaviors in other people or similar uh, outcomes, sorry? Well, we've seen, we've studied the papers in um, like other psychedelics. We looked at ketamine and we looked at uh, ayahuasca. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so with those, um, there were similar changes, I think. Uh, The change was that both ketamine and ayahuasca, they increased the slow wave activity in the first sleep cycle. So this was an opposite finding for us where we found decrease in the slow wave activity. Um, and with the REM sleep, I'm not actually sure. I think though with some of those other papers as well that look at ayahuasca and DMT, that there's a lot of effective yeah. sleep in the week after as well. There's reports of people yeah. having disrupted or affected sleep for up to, up to five nights. And obviously that gets that would be bit... re- That would be really interesting to see, yeah, the long-term effects yeah. too. Um, yeah, even maybe just, uh, yeah, actigraphy might not be the best, but maybe some home-based polysomnography device would definitely be interesting to see. Uh, yeah. I agree. Even if it's just sleep stage in a home, you know, like just yeah. looking at some yeah. like reference electrodes that would be able to do maybe EEG, EMG and EOG for sleep yeah. stage and to see what's going on because, um, and there's a lot of new novel devices out they're able to do this the challenge with this is always yeah. cost <laughs> um yeah and time trying, time and trying to get these things funded and uh trying to get people to buy the equipment so it gets very expensive so if there's yeah. any rich rich people out there that want us to look at psychedelics daniela and i will be quite happy to uh, take your money and conduct these experiments to uh to support you um so <laughs> uh, we're uh, i think uh Every every good scientist wants to answer lots of questions, more questions than answers. But but I yeah. I know from talking to some people who've done DMT that basically yeah for five nights afterwards sometimes when they went to sleep particularly they would describe it when they hit REM sleep dreaming sleep that they would be basically back into that same experience and it would wake mm-hmm. up you know have lots of sleep disruption and it would last up to five nights and I think that would be 
I think you're right. I think actigraphy is probably not sense enough to pick up on those changes, but sleep staging would be would be really good. I think the more these things get, let's say, legalized in different countries or we open up to the research, the more opportunities are going to come, come available. And I think also pharmaceutical companies are sniffing around uh, psychedelics, looking at them being legalized. Yeah. And I think they will they will yeah. probably start funding some studies. So, so yeah. So interesting times. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting because there's um the episode that can't, that's gonna come out before this episode actually looks at the effect of CBD, proprietary blend of CBD on sleep, looking at insomnia. Mm-hmm. And that was a trial run here in uh, mm-hmm. Western Australia at the University of Western Australia. Mm-hmm. And that paper has been published and basically significantly improved all measures of insomnia, looking at PSG, actigraphy, mm-hmm. and the ISI questionnaire in a double blind crossover randomized control study so very very strong study mm-hmm. and it's uh, a very very, very promising mm-hmm. for that for that cbd which is obviously non-psychoactive so people can take it to help sleep help them sleep without getting stoned and having the negative effects for their work the next day yeah mm-hmm. so daniela um if you were to look at any sort of okay. uh, psilocybin or psychedelic research in the future what what areas do you think that there's any budding researchers out there or people who want to fund us uh, what would you what would you like to look at what what what's next do you think well, I think, well, even from our data, I would like to look further into the uh, sleep spindles yeah. and how it changed, how it altered them in more like specific way. And um, we also actually collected data with uh, about the memory consolidation dependent on sleep. So, so that's something we will plan to look at. And we also collected data about with um, uh, where we extracted uh, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, from the from the blood plasma. So we want to see and uh, if if there is something going on, you know, related to plasticity in the in, in this. So we still want to look at this data and hopefully publish something out uh, soon. And more broadly, I think there'll be many more interesting studies coming and sleep is always but just uh, this is you know the first study so mm. so i'm sure there'll be more animal studies animal models and um it's an interesting area definitely definitely and what other projects do you have on at the moment daniela that are of interest in um in the sleep world if any in the sleep world yeah. well i'm just uh, yeah um, we are uh, actually doing a, this one is a, a non-pharmacological study and we're using uh, for acoustic stimulation of sleep uh, where we stimulate um, sleep using these short bursts of stimuli uh, using headphones and we are trying this in um, the elderly population to see if it can enhance their sleep and enhance their memory consolidation during the night so so that's our uh, current project now which we are f- finishing data collection of excellent very good Daniela, <laughs> if people want to follow your work they want to follow you like um on social media or any research channels are you up on ResearchGate, google scholar any of those things how, I, how can am, people follow I am on ResearchGate, and they can always email me uh, find the email or just Google us at the, our uh, website of the National Institute of Mental Health. So there's more information about our research 
and uh, our institute also has Facebook. So uh, there's some, uh, yeah, some posts regarding that and our research. Um, email is the best, shortest, quick, quickest way probably. <laughs> yeah. And if people are non-academics and want to follow Daniela's research, it's all on uh, it's all on PubMed as well. If you're not on research, get but we'll put all the links there to to follow Daniela's great work and also the link for that paper into the show notes as well. Um, and uh, anything else that we have discussed, we'll put those links in there as well. Daniela, I really appreciate you coming on, um, and thank you very much for uh, having thank a chat too. with me today. And uh, I am very very impressed with your ability to converse with me in English because even I can't converse in English sometimes so thank you very much I know it's uh, I know it's thank I know you. it's always a big mental switch for people living in a different country to switch over so thank you very much I really appreciate it it was a pleasure excellent